0: You're listening to the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. I'm Rob Pacienza, senior pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. I'm also the CEO and president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, and I am joined by co-host John Rabe, who is the director of creative production at D. James
1: Kennedy Ministries. John, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Rob. It's a pleasure. I'm excited because we're embarking on sort of a new adventure here, this this podcast, uh, the City of God podcast. This is... uh, uh, an important step for us, and explain a little bit for everybody as we do our first program here. What do we even mean by that when we say the City of God podcast? Why do we call it that? Because that's very intentional.
0: Yeah, it was actually a church, the Church Father Augustine uh, who coined the term City of God in that classic work that he wrote, and uh, we've always believed as the people of God that there are two cities. There's the City of God and the City of Man. Uh, we're not called to be of the world, but we are called to be in the world as. Saul And light to be the city on a hill. And so, what we want to explore each week are the hot button cultural issues. Uh, that we are bombarded with dailies on social media, mainstream media, but we want to be able to think about that with the mind of Christ. How would Christ call us to engage culture in a way that is faithful to the calling uh, that he has placed on our lives? So each week, we're going to be talking about different issues, everything from uh, marriage and media and entertainment, uh, politics and government. Uh, and we want to
1: see how do we engage uh, with what we call a biblical worldview. It's never been more needed than it is right now. We live in such confusing times. We're going to talk even today about something that has just radically changed over the last handful of years, and it can be dizzying to keep up with. But this is a really an opportunity to address issues as they come up from a biblical perspective, and hopefully all of us can uh, have the mind of Christ together on these things and and reason our way through them. And and. Rob, today on the program, we are going to talk about the issue of marriage. It's always a central issue, never more so than in the culture right now. Uh, you know, I think back to. We're just seeing something on a civilizational level that we've never seen before. 2008, this is 2023, just 2008, uh, 15, now going on 16 years ago, you had the two Democratic presidential candidates uh, going head to head in the primaries Barack Obama, who eventually won, and Hillary Clinton, both of whom publicly upheld the traditional definition of marriage. Both of them said, I believe marriage is between one man and one woman. Now, whether they believed that for real, whether that was – the fact was they felt like at least it was politically expedient to say that. Fast forward to 2023, not only would they no longer say that anymore, now to simply stand up and say marriage is – between one man and one woman is considered bigoted and it's considered hateful in less than a 15-year period. It was less than seven years after that that the United States Supreme Court in the uh, in the, the a massive decision redefined marriage to include – same sex marriage so that's the uh, that's the that's where we find ourselves today and rob i'll ask you this as a, as a as a pastor and as a christian leader so many people are always like why are you christians obsessed with these with these sex issues why are you obsessed with these marriage issues why can't you just l- do your thing and let other people do their thing why are we always talking about this because it matters not just
0: for the christian but it matters for a flourishing society um, during the debate back in the fall uh, when the uh, the respect for marriage act which by the way is a mischaracterization yes. of, uh, of what they did it was the federal government was redefining marriage uh right be, right before our eyes um, but uh, we we had uh, legislators uh making the case that this was helping to lead to a more stable society. And we know as Christians, it's it's the exact opposite. Uh, you can't redefine what God has already put in motion, what God has already defined, what God has already designed for a flourishing society, and actually think that we're going to be more stable as a society, uh, that just the exact will thing will happen and occur.
1: We're going to talk a lot more in the program about that so-called Respect for Marriage Act and, and the implications of that, as well as the the biblical view and how it all works together because some people would say well that's fine that's your view as a christian but you have no right to impose that on everyone else that's yeah. the the argument that's made now but well i think that yeah and i think it's in, important and we'll we'll go through the specifics in mm-hmm. a little
0: bit uh, as far as what they did uh, pass uh, with the Senate passed back in the fall. But I, I think what you touched on earlier, I, I don't want to miss that point um, because what happened in 2008, what happened back in 1996 with the Defense of Marriage Act really spoke to the Judeo-Christian roots of our nation. Um, as you said, whether they truly believed it or not personally, even they understood, uh, You know whether it was Obama or in 08 or Clinton in 96, even they understood the Judeo- Christian foundations of America and of our society uh that the judeo-christian roots and the judeo-christian worldview speak about marriage being defined solely by god yes. uh, that it's grounded and rooted in something that's objective that there's an objective morality objective truth um and so how quickly from 96 and the the decisions made in 08 how quickly we have drifted and i think it was close to even 12 republicans yes. uh, that voted for the Respective Marriage Act? I mean, the, the party uh, that has been known for upholding, at least their platform speaks of it, uh, of upholding a uh, traditional view of marriage, God's design for marriage and society. So I think we'll look back at this decision years from now and see how unprecedented it was, uh, not just for Congress, but for uh, generations uh, to come in really, this nation.
1: Really just a complete capitulation on marriage uh, on, B, uh, on the part of the Republican Party, and, and we knew where the Democratic Party was on it for a long time. And so, yeah, 1996, you have, as you pointed out, the Defense of Marriage Act. Again, we're not talking about the 1800s. We're talking about uh, you know the people involved, including President Bill Clinton, are all still alive. This was a little bit over 25 years ago. Most of us remember it. And to go from there, you know, in 25 years in, in uh, civilizational terms is not even a blink of an eye. And to go from traditional marriage, this has always been the foundation in Western society to a complete upturning of that and redefinition. We've just never seen a a change on that scale, and we haven't even begun to recognize uh, or reckon with the consequences of it. So as you pointed out, Congress has passed this bill known as the Respect for Marriage Act, as misnamed as it is. Uh, They passed it recently. It was signed by President Joe Biden. Let's, Rob, take a closer look at what the so-called Respect for Marriage Act entails. The, the Respect for Marriage Act takes key steps to uphold marriage equality under federal law. This is what we're celebrating, tearing down the defense of marriage, off, taking off the books for good, yeah, yeah. enshrining married couples' right to equal protection, requiring that every state recognize all valid marriages out of state as long as it is recognized in, their, in the state of their marriage. The legislation reflects Democrats belief in the dignity, beauty and divinity of every person one of the things that's amazing there is these terms use the divinity of every person you know attempting to enshrine attempting to attach God to this uh, is one of the things and, and of course Nancy is uh, becoming increasingly less able to put coherent thoughts together but uh, Rob as we, as we look at what has happened here over the past uh, several months in this I think what basically occurred is that in the summer of 2022 the Supreme Court overrules Roe v. Wade. Uh, It had been a long time in coming. It was obviously a shock wave sent throughout the country, and Uh, So the left looked at that and said, well, we'd better make sure that this doesn't happen to the Obergefell decision of 2015, in which Anthony Kennedy essentially redefined marriage after thousands of years of Western history. Um, And so let's pass a law to enshrine this thing. It creates some major problems, though. And and as Christians, you know, they said, well, there was all kinds of language in uh, to protect religious liberty. But religious liberty really is a real key concern here isn't it absolutely some have said
0: this was a political grandstanding i think it uh, is way more than political grandstanding i think especially uh, underscored by the 12 republicans who voted in favor for this act Mm -hmm. Uh, as i mentioned earlier we saw congress literally before our eyes redefining marriage in this nation and i think there are wide sweeping ramifications for generations to come um yeah i mean you you touched on the issue of religious liberty uh, uh you know we have uh, the senator from uh, wyoming mm-hmm. uh you know Lummis, uh who uh, made the statement that uh, it's okay uh that you know uh, christians have a biblical definition of marriage and uh you know the secular society has their secular definition of marriage well that's a, that's a scary uh, Uh, statement to make, because what you're saying is you're giving over to society, and in this case, the government, the right to define and root and ground marriage in... Basically, society, society's sanity, or whatever's left of it, yeah, uh, whatever which they deem it, is right or wrong, which or, changes or, every five would, minutes. Yeah, it's it's totally rooted and grounded in the subjective. I mean, all truth is relative, um, but I think for the issue of religious liberty, where we've got to be careful as Christians is this is not so much just giving secular society the right to define marriage the way they want. What happens? when an increasingly secular culture begins to turn around and says to Christians, wait a second, We see the language of the legislation. We see the language of the law. You keep your definition of marriage in your churches Mm -hmm. on Sunday morning, but do not dare bring it into the marketplace. Do not dare bring it into the public square. Do not dare bring it into your bakery or into your law firm uh, because we see not just, and this was some of the argument that happened on the Senate floor. Well, this is the intent of the law. No. when the law is being upheld and the law is being interpreted, they're looking at the text of the law, they're right. looking at the language of the law, and that language of the law that was passed by the Senate will be used as a weapon eventually against Christians to strip the right of Christians to define marriage according to God's word. This is the slow erosion of religious liberty in both the marketplace and the public square. So this is way more than just redefining marriage.
1: This is an all out attack and assault on religious liberty. And if anybody thinks otherwise, I'd have to suggest they're simply not paying attention to the actual evidence. They're not paying attention to what's actually happening, because you mentioned, uh, you know, the the Christian Baker. We see these cases all over the place. Most notably, Jack Phillips in the state of Colorado, but there have been many others as well. Uh, asks, uh, decides not to bake a, a cake. He's a he's a baker. He doesn't bake the cake for the same-sex wedding. I will sell you anything that you like, but I won't make something to celebrate this occasion. Well, he's brought up on on hate crime charges in front. Of a state tribunal, they continue to go after him, even as he's after he's won at the Supreme Court. They continue to press this against him. Uh, one of President Obama's uh, commissioners to the, uh, I believe it was the FCC, it was, or no, actually it was the Equal Opportunity Commission, Chai uh, Feldblum. Uh, she said, I, "I don't see any scenario when there's a battle between religious liberty and sexual liberty where religious liberty wins out." So this is already on the table, and ultimately, you know, oh yeah, you can have your definition well in our culture, when uh, my disapproval or my disagreement is actually construed as literal violence, uh, then how long am I going to be allowed to have that disapproval? How long am I going to be able to have that disagreement? That's where we're at now. If you disapprove of me, if you disagree with me now, Rob, that is literal violence that you are committing against me. Absolutely,
0: and I I, I think John, you know, we we just talked about religious liberty, but I do I do want to go back briefly to the issue of marriage and family mm-hmm. and. I do think, because since that's the you know the main topic uh, for our podcast today, you know, when you look at any society throughout history, that has gone secular. And what do we mean by secular? That we're, we're, we're removing God from the public square, that uh, God is not mentioned or not considered uh, when it comes to the institutions of a, any given society. So in our increasingly secular culture, we just have to look at history. You know, we look at things like the Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels right. said one of the chief goals, one of their chief goals was to abolish the family. Uh, the tradition nuclear family as it has been defined traditionally throughout the Thousands of years of history uh, was has always been seen as those that are trying to advance a, sec- a secular society. Traditional marriage has been seen as a threat, an obstacle. Uh, it's been a, a construct of those trying to oppress. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have to do what? We have to reconstruct family. We have to reconstruct uh, what uh, you know the the this key institution in society, and one of the best ways to attack this key institution in society, the family is to attack traditional marriage, God's design for marriage. And I think, we, you know, it's it's interesting. We, you know, we live in a society and a culture that says love is love, and we're seeing it right before our eyes. Uh, we're, we're seeing this definition of love and marriage that is no longer defined by anything absolute, nothing objective, but it's simply in the eye of the beholder.
1: Yeah, it, it has become a very malleable thing where it's essentially whatever, uh, whatever voluntary association of people that you want to put together in at the moment in the so called respect for marriage act it's two people of of any sex of any gender that we'll see how long that holds up because already you see the movement towards polyamory and these other in these other arrangements but uh, at the end of the day It's it's ironic that marriage is described as oppressive, and as you point out, that was really the Marxist game, was to undermine the family, undermine marriage. That's explicit in the writings of Marx and his followers. So you have this idea that it's oppressive ironically, it's actually the Christian idea, the Judeo-Christian idea of marriage that uh, elevated women, gave women safety, gave women freedom. Go look at cultures even now where you have polygamy, where you have uh, men are allowed to uh, marry and divorce wives at will. Women have basically no rights and, and see what the condition of women is. It's in Western cultures where the biblical of ethic of marriage took hold that women were actually protected and actually lifted up. Which leads us to what underlies all of this and that is what is the contrast? We're we're pointing out the problems with this cultural redefinition of marriage and now the legal redefinition of marriage. What's the contrast with that, and why is the contrast to that important? What why are we so tenacious about marriage? Yeah, it, it's interesting
0: and. I think it's important to recognize that we even have in our historically conservative churches and historically conservative denominations right now, uh, we have churches and denominations grappling Mm. with this idea of marriage and gender and sexuality. Um, So I think it's super important for those listening to this podcast to realize this is not something that's just happening on Capitol Hill. This is not just happening in our mainline denominations. These are happening, as I said, in some of our most conservative churches and denominations in America right now. So Christians better pay attention Mm. to this discussion uh, regarding marriage and also the issues concerning religious liberty that we talked about. Uh, But you're absolutely right. This has to be a key foundational issue for every Christian because marriage, as it's defined by God, is not just important for the Christian, but it's important for a flourishing society society. Uh, A few months ago, after the uh, Respect for Marriage Act was passed, I heard one Christian say kind of flippantly, uh, well, there goes marriage. Hmm. And what they were saying was, yeah, it stinks. (laughs) It's a shame. uh, But life goes on. No. With acts like this passed by the Senate it's not there goes marriage, mm-hmm. it's there goes the society. Yeah, We believe as Christians that the Judeo-Christian worldview, particularly this issue concerning marriage and gender and sexuality as it's defined by God in Genesis chapter one, is the best design for a flourishing society. I mean, just take the room we're in right now. There's a design to this room. Mm -hmm. The building we're in has a design. I can't just build a room and build a building haphazardly. There is a design and there's one way to design it. Well, God says, this is the design. And we go against that design, we're foolish to think that we can flourish as a people, flourish as a society. And that's the narrative we need to change as Christians. This isn't just God's design for Christians. This is God's design for the world. This is God's design for all people. Um, You know, Nancy Pelosi alluded to it. You heard other congressmen and women allude to it and, and senators say this gets us one step closer to a more stable society. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. You can't go contrary to God's design and expect anything but chaos and floundering. There's only one way for a stable society to exist. It's to live and act and exist according to God's design alone. And it's the responsibility of the Christians to not just preach this message on Sunday morning, but to go live this out all throughout the week to vote like this, to live like this, to communicate to their neighbors like this, that the message of Jesus Christ and God's design for all of life is the greatest design for the entire world. We need to remember that in our society right now, an increasingly secular culture and the leaders of it are redefining these key institutions, these key bedrock foundational truths, in something that's subjective and something that's relative, and we need to be reminded as the people of God, as the
1: city of God, that we ground all truths in God's truth alone. That's such an important point that you bring up, Rob, because, uh, you know, and we all live in this culture. We all breathe the air. We all have to fight against it, and we're all influenced by it in ways that we don't always see, and that's why we continue to have to go back to the Word of God and be reformed and be corrected, because we we drift and, and, and we can't help ourselves. We are members of this culture in which we live uh, and so but if we're going to defend marriage we can't be upholding a standard that we ourselves are not living by, that we ourselves are not demonstrating and Marriage is not at its strongest point even within the church right now. So, unless we get our own house in order, it's going to be very difficult to convince others, isn't it? A- absolutely. We need to begin with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God.
0: That's, that is That is the foundational truth uh, for every Christian. So everything that comes after that statement in Genesis 1-1, it, we need to live according to it in our both our private lives and our public lives. We need to be educating our children and our grandchildren these truths. Let's look at what God says, not what uh, senators and congressmen and women, not what the mainstream media, not what the uh, uh, latest, greatest uh, social media influencer says about marriage or gender, sexuality what does the Word of God say? He's the king, he's the creator. He gets to call the shots. He creates the rules. He designs uh, marriage and sexuality and gender. Let's look at Genesis chapter one. Let's look all throughout the scripture. When, when, When God describes his relationship to us, his people, what does he use? Marriage. Marriage, And he defines it by the groom and the bridegroom, right? He talks about marriage as the flourishing of society, the means of a flourishing society. He talks about it as the foundational institution for all of society. Before there was the state, before there was even the the church or the collective people of God, there was the family. And uh, we need to be raising up generation after generation that understands what they believe and why they believe it and why it matters not only in private, but in public.
1: Amen to that. As kind of a final point, I think we really do need to deal with this idea. People will perhaps hear that secular people will say, hey, great, that's good for you. You and your little Bible, and you you can have that. That's that's fine. Um, but don't force that on the rest of us. We are, we, you know, we're going to make laws apart. And in fact, they would even claim the Constitution demands that we make laws without respect to to your little religious view over here. Um all of these questions ultimately come down to matters of who says and So the question is, how is marriage going to be defined and who gets to define it? Right now, what we're saying is the individual gets to define it on his or her own, and maybe the state legislature gets to define it. Is that where it ends, just with whatever the popular vote says right now?
0: No, we need to be, thus saith the Lord, people. (laughs) God designs it according to what his word says. And so we always have to go back to, this is what God's word says. So we don't have the right. Uh, as individuals. We don't have the right to pass this off to the state. We don't have the right to pass this off to some liberal college professor. Mm -hmm. It is what the word of God says. He says it and we live according to it. Uh, And I, I think in closing, what does it mean to be loving? is love is love? Is is love in the eye of the beholder? No. Uh, no. To be loving to our neighbor, to be loving as the people of God to our world is to uphold God's standard for the world, to uphold God's standards for humanity. We're actually not loving our neighbor well to either be silent or just to roll over and just kind of give over our, uh, our truths and our values to an increasingly secular society. The most loving thing we can do is to speak truth in love. That was the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have to be men and women of truth doing it in a spirit of love, but remembering that if we don't bring the truth of God's word into the public square and into the marketplace of ideas, that we fail to be the salt. We fail to be the light that Jesus called all of his followers to be.
1: And every empirical measure shows us that children flourish best in a home with one father and one mother. Uh, that's indisputable in the, the sociology literature. It's easily spotted. Those are the That's the, the easiest marker of success flourishing for a child and ultimately we have to remember that the the First Amendment does not require us to keep this to ourselves the founders never had any idea that that judeo-christian values would play no part in public life their goal was that the church would not run the government but the the idea of separating that from any sort of religious ideas or any kind of foundation in revealed truth would have been completely alien to them so we can have courage as we speak out that we are uh, in the in the line of our founding fathers and it's not those who say that it all needs to be secular.
0: John, it is historical fact. Any society around the world throughout all of history that has embraced a Judeo-Christian worldview has led to flourishing. It's a flourishing society will be found as a result. You just have to look, as you just mentioned, at this nation in particular. Uh, So we want healthy societies, flourishing societies, stable societies. We need to do our part to be vocal and to champion God design for marriage, for family, for gender and sexuality.
1: Amen. Rob, I'm excited to sit down and do this every week and actually get this sort of immediacy with our listeners, get to talk through these issues. It's exciting. Uh, We live in challenging times, but it's exciting to examine these issues, see what God says. And it's encouraging to me that, you know, we do have, we Christians have a path that we can offer people that really does lead to their own well-being, that leads to their flourishing and through which we can love them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to the City of God podcast made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture at Ridge Presbyterian Church. This is a weekly podcast, so make sure that you listen to us on Apple Podcast or Spotify, or you can always watch the video version on YouTube. Thank you for listening, and God bless you.